Welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. Scott Linden here. Glad you could join me. Fascinating discussion to take place today. One of only five women who has won an national amateur field trial in the Springer Spaniel world. And uh, her dog was also voted the dog that uh, the gunners in the trial would most like to hunt with. Now, that doesn't happen very often. In fact, it's never happened before. So uh, we'll learn a lot from Cami Barrow and also from Jim Keller of Wildwind Kennels, who has been helping Cami and her dog Bailey on this uh, long-running campaign that has paid off in so many ways. If you want to learn more about how to handle a dog in the field, in a field trial, or anywhere else in a hunting situation, well, they'll have advice for us. We'll also talk about what you used for technology in the field, and then we'll go to New Mexico for a public access quail opportunity or two, so stick around for all of that. First off, just back from um, snowy, cold, and very productive northern Nevada. Had a great time down there. One of my favorite places. That was a place we were supposed to go for opening weekend, and we couldn't for well, for some kind of dumb reasons, but uh, nothing that big a deal. Um, just glad to finally pull it off and get down there again. The darkest part of the lower 48 states. And my buddy Dave brought his really fancy telescope, and we had a new moon. So can you imagine what you could see with a good telescope when there's no moonlight? Yeah, it was incredible. Have you ever really seen the Milky Way? It's spectacular. But enough about me. How about you folks? What are you doing these days? Speaking of Nevada, Jeffrey Kimura shot his first rough grouse in Nevada. Talk about odd situations. That's one of them. You just don't put that bird in that state. But of course, there's mountains all over. I've been to some of them. <laughs> Bruce Wondrecht's, uh Hannah, English Setter, found her first prairie chicken in South Dakota. Fantastic. Jay Gnetner, I hope I pronounced that right, Jay. Looks like you got a wirehead pointing Griffon and some good-looking birds in your arms there. Shane Rugg, a whole pile of friends and dogs. A little bit high up there. I hope you had a good time in that beautiful high knoll with some snow capped mountains in the background it looks like you had some success and i'm a little jealous there's no snow on the ground in any of these shots rob sykes has got a yeah there's the the goose is so big i can't hardly tell is that a uh well let's open it up and see it looks like a retriever but i can't tell for sure is that a labrador or not whatever it is Good-looking retrieve there, and I can only imagine how heavy that bird is compared to that dog, which seems to be a little bit on the small side, at least in that photo. Well, it looks like you're all getting out and having a good time, and that's what matters, so um, good on you. We're made possible in part by Sage and Praker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School, True Lock Choke Tubes, and Fur Feathers friends.com well if you're uh, like me you're always thinking about warmer drier places to go towards the end of the season and i know we're nowhere near the end yet but if it uh, you know if it helps to plan ahead a little bit here's your chance head for new mexico if you're looking for bob whites yeah bob white quail around the pecos river region even a bit further south along the Texas border. Uh, just look for mixed brush and grasslands. There's so much BLM ground out there. I've roamed some of it, and I can't wait to get back. Next time I'm there, Mern's quail are high on the list. I'm headed for Catron County, the Cibola National Forest, the San Andres Mountains, and the Sacramento Mountains is where the population is most concentrated. That's down in the south-central part of the state if you are looking for that kind of advice. Well, I've got more of it, including state-by-state state and species-by-species species information at findbirdhuntingspots.com. 
We're brought to you by Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School. I've talked about the Pro Shop and all the great gear they have, and I am so grateful that they have it for a whole bunch of reasons. I'm always stocking up there and uh, uh, glad that they will ship anything from their Pro Shop pages at midvalleyclays.com quickly and efficiently. You know, they're also a major source of Browning shotguns, and Browning has one of the most complete lineups of shotguns for Upland game hunters. Well, you know the Satori. Now it's available in a Featherlight model, among others. Some of the most venerable uh, shotguns in the world are those Browning Satoris. Several lines of autoloaders at various price points and they also have a pump gun or two if you're looking for an opening gambit for a new hunter for example learn more about their selection at midvalleyclays.com and then once you've got your gun whether it's new or old uh, outfit it completely with some true lock chokes i spell true lock t-r-u-l-o-c-k truelockchokes.com all sorts of resources there. Uh, remember that one of the simplest ways to improve your shooting is to use good choke tubes. And there are all sorts of incentives at truelockchokes.com. You can get a free choke tube case, free shipping, 10% off, depending on how you order and how much you order. Take a look at, take a look at all of the choke tube opportunities there for any kind of gun and any kind of ammo at truelock chokes.com Well, I'm so glad to have Cami Barrow with me and soon uh, Jim Keller of Wild Wind Kennels will be joining us as well. At least that's our our fervent hope. Cami, if you know um if you know that name, it's probably because last November she won the U.S. National Amateur English Spaniel Field Trial Championship in New York. Cammie and her Springer Bailey won the national title as well as the Gunners Award given to the dog the contest Gunners would most likely want to hunt with. Now there's an achievement. Cammie Barrow, welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. Thank you very much for having me. How, what was the feeling when, when that all happened? I mean, uh, that you know, I'm lucky to get through a hunt test, let alone win anything. Uh, that's got to be, well, like the Oscar of the dog world. Uh, it's a year in, and it's still sinking in. <laughs> wow, that big. Uh, does, does it change uh, the way you look at your dog? No, because... You still know when you're having a good run versus when things aren't going quite right. Yeah. I mean, the thing that was so special about that national were, was the fact that we strung together five series, and each series was just its own really cool you know, moment in time where we were working together really well as a team. So you were in the zone in some way or another. Mm-hmm. Well, you say series. What, what Describe that to us. Five in a row. I mean, is that like a whole day or is that a whole week? That is over a week. Yeah. Basically. Because there were, you know, I can't remember how many. There were about 100 dogs in the competition. Wow. And so, you know, everybody starts in the first series and then the numbers get whittled down over the course of a week. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in a regular trial far smaller numbers and it'll be three series in a day yeah well that's that's got to be nerve-wracking in itself because every day um well you know by the end of the day you know whether you're moving on or not right you well it usually takes until it you know the judges have to talk about it yeah and so it'll take a couple of hours mm -hmm. and usually by seven or eight that night you'll you'll know if you're coming back the next day. Wow. Well, just describe the whole field trial spaniel thing to us. There, you know, there are a lot of folks who've never attended one. Um, those who have may have attended a pointing dog trial or even a retriever trial for that matter. But the, the spaniel thing is a little bit different in some ways, isn't it? It is. Um, these guys are flushing dogs. And so 
basically you go out and you're set up with a brace mate and you have a center line. So you each have your own side of the course and the dogs are judged on their use of wind, their courage undercover, their boldness of flush and their marking and retrieving skills, as well as how well they work with the handler. And, you know, in addition to all of that, they have to respect what's going on on the other side of the course. So you'll have, oh, go ahead. Well, well you, the, so, so they got to work together in, in some way, don't they? The handler and the dog have to work together. Right. And there, we hope, is Jim joining us. Yes, sir. Hey, good. We're on the air, Jim, so hang hang loose. So, Cammy, you were saying uh, the dog and the handler obviously have to work together closely, but what about that other dog? Uh, you know, as I was saying, we have to be respectful. Yeah. Of that other dog. So if they put up a bird and are on a retrieve, you know, my dog has to sit down and not interfere, stay out of the way, and let that other dog do their thing. That's got to be as hard as anything else. I know in the pointing dog world, getting a dog to honor another dog's point is is one of the bigger challenges at a high level. Um, can you train for that? Uh you certainly can reduce the level of risk that's involved with something going wrong with your dog. Yeah. Yeah. And it, there are certain things you can't train for. Um, you know, if, if a, a bird is accidentally put right in front of your dog, that's trying to be good in honor on the other <laughs> side. I mean, there is some luck, but you know, Jim always talks about the basics. You teach your dog to, to hop or sit. You teach them to come, you teach them to heal, and if you can get all of those locked in, you should be fine. Yeah, and that's a good that's a good cue for you, Jim. Welcome to the Upland Nation podcast, Jim Keller of Wild Wind Kennels. Now, the reason Jim is with us today is Jim uh, worked closely with Cammy as a pro trainer to get uh, Bailey to this level. And Jim, um, number one, how's the drive going? Oh. <laughs> Well, we just uh, we just actually uh, we're getting we get we came out early to uh, help prepare for the uh, U.S. National Open. It's going to be held in Minnesota. Yeah. And so, yeah, we just we just pounded out two and a half days or three days of driving uh, to get out here, and so we can prep the dogs up and get all that. And that'll be starting for the next five days, and then the nationals are five days after that. So. That's a long. That's a long pull for a guy like you. How many dogs you got in the trailer with you? Um, we actually have. Uh, I'm trying to think. Of, we have seven total that'll be that are going to run in the national open. Yeah. And I think eight total that's going to that will run in the national amateur. So wow. And some of them are running in both, as Cammy's dog is as well. Yeah. So, so you're probably the best guy to describe the difference between the open and the amateur. Why don't you give us a quick description of, of the difference between those two? Well, dog wise and, and even handler wise is really no difference. The only distinguishing, uh, the only distinguish, uh, dis distinction rather is in the open, um, anybody can run that's qualified, of course, whether it be an all age stake or whether it be at the nationals or what have you. And the amateur stakes are strictly for the, for non-professionals. So, but that being said, there's been um, numerous times uh, where uh, amateurs uh, have com compete very, very well and, and have beaten and, and done very well. And I think that goes to a lot of reasons, but there's uh, one of the biggest reasons is that uh, there's some darn good amateurs out there, you know? And oh yeah. It's, it's more about the dog and, and, and the relationship with the person with the dog. And that's, that's really, really important. So, well, you know, you, you bring that up, and and uh, you know, it seems like every other week I'm talking to somebody about that relationship between the dog and the handler, and it could be the owner handler, it could be a pro trainer, it doesn't matter. But what are the things that are important in that, Jim? In in the relationship with yeah. the dog, as far yeah. as yeah, okay, I see. Yep, basically the well, I mean, the biggest thing is is any any dogs. I mean, I can, I've, I've trained all breeds over the years, but I'll speak to Spaniels since that's what kind of what we're discussing. But, uh, 
Um, but you know, building a relationship with an animal is, is really something special. And it's, and, um, as you're developing, you know, we train dogs for other people too. So we've got to get the dog to where not only it knows its tasks, but it's also well socialized and, and works for other people and, and all that. And I think part of that, of course, is so there's probably a number of components, but part of it is that bitability factor where dogs want to please. Yeah. That's the reason why we have them, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, uh, you know, it's uh, so so you like to have that. And so you build you build relationships based on trust and consistency um, and uh, being fair with them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that that's that's probably the biggest thing. It's not it's not super complicated. It's like people, you know, you got to you, you got to earn the dog's trust, but they're looking for it, too, you know. Yeah, I do. In fact, I uh, somewhere in a book I wrote a while back, I I mentioned a dog trusting humans and being fair, the human having to be fair to the dog and that dogs know it when you're not fair. How would you define that? I mean, it's it's not the same as, you know, a relationship with a human being. So we want to be fair to a dog. What does that mean in practical terms? Well, there's a lot of re- a lot of things w- that come to mind from for from my thinking is um, fa- fairness to the dog is never expecting it to do something you haven't trained it to do, mm-hmm. and and once you've trained them to do it, it would be unfair if you allow them to not do it sometimes and to do it other times. Yeah, that would actually be very unfair, and I think that's <laughs> probably um, that's probably where most people will break down uh, inconsistency and. In, in their expectations of, 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 uh, what they expect the dog to do. Yeah. Or, you know, I, there, there's a guy, the name of Rex Carr, you probably have heard of. Mm-hmm. He's the, he's the retriever guru who's passed away some time back, but he's kind of like the founding father of the modern day, modern day training in the retriever world. And certainly it's leaked over into spaniels and other breeds as well. He, they tell, they tell a story about when he, um, was watching, he was a really great coach. And he was watching somebody run their dog, and the person was getting really, really upset with the dog. And he stopped it right there, and he said, you shouldn't be upset with the dog. You should be upset with yourself. Either you didn't teach them properly, or you didn't enforce your standard or what have you. But anytime that animal breaks down, it's not because of anything less than uh, that's that's your responsibility, not theirs. Operator and, error. Uh, yeah, well, you know, to a point, right? Yeah. And uh, he said, either you didn't teach it well enough, or you haven't, you know, you haven't proofed it, or whatever. I guess is what we use for a term, proofing response. You know. Yeah, um, I want to talk about that with Cammy because it's one thing. I joke about it, but it's true. Back in when I was in the music business, you can be the best player in the entire universe in a practice room, but at some point you got to walk out onto the stage and prove it. Um, Cammy went. Where, where does that come uh, to the fore with a dog in a field trial or even a hunting situation? What are the ways that, a, you know, a dog actually is being proofed when they're out there? Well, I mean, you do the proofing before you get out yeah, there. Yeah. Hope, hopefully. Uh-huh. Um, I guess if I'm understanding the question correctly, it's, it's knowing, you know, it's the trust factor, yeah. really. If you go out to the line knowing that you trust your dog and and that he's going to respond the best way he knows how to. And, you know, to Jim's point, right or wrong, you know, he's going to try to do, or at least my dogs, my dogs try to do the best that they can. <laughs> and, you know, Bailey has a nose that sometimes – can get the better of him because he's a big running dog and his nose will take him down the field. But he has, he has to trust that I, he'll get a bird if he stays with me and he's not going to get a bird if he doesn't. So I don't know if that answers your question or not. Yeah. Yeah. It makes all the sense in the world and hopefully we're all trying to convey that or train it or whatever you want to call it. Um, what about just the overall, um, uh, when you're when you're at the line and and the judges are ready to cut you loose, what what goes through your mind right before you're 
ready to start that trial? Well, I mean, Jim, Jim has a few, few little isms that he likes to have the people that are training with him hold to. One is holding the standard. Yeah. And so I want to make sure that, that Bailey is lined up the way I want him to be lined up and that he's not trying to take a little ground on me or trying to tell me which way he wants to go. I want him to wait for me to tell him which way I want him to go. And, you know, once that's established, I smile at my dog. (laughs) I check the wind and we're on our way. You know, and we just, we take what comes as it comes. And how long is each of these runs at that, at this level? How long are you in the field? If I'm having a good day, it's really quick. Oh, really? I generally judge how well I'm doing by how quickly Bailey's finding the birds. And so if he gets his two birds, because every series you get two contacts, Mm -hmm. and if he's in there finding them, making the retrieve, and we're in and out, then we're having a good day. If it's taking longer to find the birds or, or he's, you know, running off course a little bit, trying to track something out, like, you know, it's just something we have to work through, but probably doesn't look as good to a judge. Is it, uh, is that because, you know, there are birds in there and we all know where they are sort of, and they should be able to find them fairly quickly? I mean, yes, but also a lot of things change day to day. Yeah. You know, as an amateur, we're running the day after the pros run. Uh-huh. So there are lots of extra birds. Mm. It'll depend on the cover and how the birds are planted. It'll depend on the weather, whether the birds start moving. So, I mean, there are a lot of factors there. Jim, what goes through but, your mind when 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 you're handling a dog for somebody else? I can't imagine the. It's got to be to a great degree like a, a a trainer and a jockey rolled into one running the Preakness. Yeah, well, you know what what I what I try to do is, uh, you know, to Cammy's point, have a night, have a plan. You know, you're observing a lot of times. There's you know, your people are chatting with you. It's a very social type of event in a lot of ways. And you try not to be rude, but, uh, but you're going ahead. And I mean, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm listening. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a little bit more, I'm paying attention, but I've learned over the years how to make sure that I'm paying attention to everything. Yeah. And so I'm trying to be aware of, uh, you know, what, you know, what the wind's doing. I've been watching the dogs ahead of me, uh, to see uh, how they're finding their birds, which direction they're finding their birds, if I can, if I can tell, getting a cadence for, you know, how aggressive uh, folks are hitting the course, uh, you know, uh, I'm just, I'm trying to take all that data in at the same time before I get up there, and, and then there's what I call three test questions, <laughs> which are, you know, um, if you're kind of watching, I mean, our sport, the, the sport of for spaniels is they're they're putting birds out uh, along, uh, you know, they're putting them out in front. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to get a feel for where they're, how far off they are. Because sometimes if, if, depending upon the scenting and stuff, you might, you know, you might, but your dog might be tempted to go well, perhaps on the other course, which is a bad thing. And, you know, I'm also seeing, okay, are they putting, you know, the birds more outside because that's your starting point. It doesn't mean that's where the bird's going to be, but at least it gives you an idea as to where things kind of are. And all that data for me is, is like I said, a free test question. Yeah. I'm trying to, to, you know, there's a lot of variables that can happen outside of that, but I'm trying to, to just take it all in. And then really, really you connect with the dog. Like Cammy said, you connect with them and connecting means I want to walk them up and, have them fairly relaxed or in some cases with a dog, I actually may want them being a little antsy because I may want to, you know, have them just, uh, you know, the whole, the whole process is you want to have a, a really cool animal that's out there and showing off exactly why you brought them there. Yeah. You know, there's only a certain percentage of dogs that have the 
uh, that have the ability or perhaps even the opportunity to run in these type of events. So, you know, obviously we're choosing dogs that we really feel have the ability and, and, the, and the skills. And then our job is to train them to that level. And then, so you, you want to show that off. So my, my good saying is you want to let them get out there and do great things, but under control. Yeah. And so, you know, that's the thing that, you know, when you first imagine yourself seeing a, a, a spaniel or a pointer or a retriever do different things, you go ahead and you want to you the things that make you excited about why you got involved in that is what you want to show. And so that's, that's, you know, you're putting on a show, but at the same time, you're trying to show off all the skill sets, you know? I, I do. Yeah. It, not that I could do it, but I understand what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm Scott Linden. This is the Upland Nation podcast. Uh, Jim Keller is with Wildwind Kennels. He uh, collaborated with Cammie Barrow. Uh, Bailey was the subject of their collaboration. Bailey is a, an incredible Springer Spaniel, won the National Amateur Spaniel Field Trial Championship and also... Just for the record, Cami is one of only five female handlers to claim that national title. We'll be talking to Jim and Cami more in just a couple minutes. First off, let me just remind you that we are brought to you in part by SageandBreaker.com. You know, one of the many things I never leave home without is the Sage and Breaker modifiable bore cleaning kit. You know that bore snake? Well, this one's even better. It's been improved in many ways the brush is detachable all the components are designated by the gauge so if you're like me and you're dragging two or three different gauge shotguns along you know which of your bore cleaning kits is for which shotgun find out more about all of those products and get on the mailing list for the very rare sales you'll find out about them first at sage and breaker.com and welcome back to the upland nation podcast we've got jim keller of wildwind kennels and cammy barrow handler owner and uh probably very good friend of bailey the springer spaniel uh cammy what do you think Bailey likes most about this whole field trial game? <laughs> um, the birds. Yeah. <laughs> pretty simple, huh? <laughs> it's pretty simple. He's a bird dog. Good. I, I and, uh, things going there. If I make Cammy, you got, you got Bailey loves birds. Bailey loves Cammy and Bailey likes food. <laughs> <laughs> You forgot the couch. He also really enjoys the couch. <laughs> oh yep, gosh! Yep. Well, yeah, you bet. Well, you can't carry a couch around as as uh, a reward or praise, but you can carry food around. I mean, do you, do you use that sort of thing? How do you how do you motivate a dog? What are the praise uh, actions or items that you two use when you're when you're trying to get Bailey uh, to the highest level? I mean, it it really just starts with a you know good boy. Yeah. And and you know, telling him when he's doing the right thing and and Bailey and, and all of the spaniels we've had have been really really driven by that. They want to do the right thing, and they yeah. want to make you happy. And so, just that little bit of praise makes a huge difference. So you can't overdo it all the time. Like it has to be doled out in proportion to to the task that the dog has has been asked to do um but then you can throw in some treats but not we don't do that too much past the the puppy stage Uh and then birds (laughs) a lot of birds yeah yeah well you know it's easy to say and we all say we all have a version of no birds no bird dog but but what does that mean in, in a training scenario? I mean, does that mean frequent contact? Does that mean he gets to retrieve often? Or is it all of the above? Or is it something I'm missing out on? 
Jim, do you want to take that one? Yeah. Sure. I mean, uh, you know, this, this, this I, I think that um, the dogs get enjoyment from uh, finding birds in the, in the spaniels, obviously, you know, that, I mean, the spaniels get enjoyment from finding the birds, but they also get enjoyment from retrieving those birds. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a mix there. Yeah. And some dogs are incredibly retrieve driven. Some dogs are uh, incredibly uh, more flight driven. Mm. Most of your spaniels I've found over the years have a tendency to be a mixture of both. And that's what, that's why they do what they do so well. I mean, they're, their primary, if you had to, I, I hate to pigeonhole a spaniel into just one type of bird, but one of the things that has has really been one of the defining things that they do exceptionally is taking track on pheasants. Yeah. And, and, and pheasants, of course, love to run. And so their job is to put enough pressure on that bird to get it in the air. And, and then when they get it in the air, um, to be, you know, hopefully, you know, you want to see that done within range, of course, and then <laughs> a mixture of training and stuff that happens for that. But, um, so I, I think there's motivational factors on, on that end of it a lot. And, um, like a good pointing dog gets a lot of satisfaction out of sitting there and pinning a bird. Yeah. Uh, retrievers get a lot of satisfaction you know, out of, uh, out of, you know, and really incredible drive and all their skill sets have been designed over the years or, you know, that's, what's been developed. They can see things at depth that rivals the human eye. It's mm -hmm. not better than the human eye mm -hmm. in some ways. And so, you know, our spaniels really, um, you know, that's, that's what they like to do. The, 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 to, to me, it's a mixture of, tempering it out to where they want to do it with you. And that's really, really important. That's really, really important. So I think that when they want to do it with us, that's what makes that bond even more special. Uh, you know, I, I there's a, uh, a trainer here in, in, in Nevada here, there in Nevada, I'm in Oregon, but uh, that uh, he's really changed my thinking a lot about, you know, how to do all that. And his, one of his philosophies is that the dog needs to understand that, um, uh, that if the dog wants a bird, whatever, mm -hmm. whatever, whatever aspect of it, the dog likes, um, he's got to look to the human for that. Um, the human is the source of all birds in one way or another. And, you know, I'm, I'm not deep into his philosophy, but it makes, it starts to make sense that, um, on a, in a pointing dog, I, I see how you might be able to do that in a, in a spaniel where, um, the, the birds are planted out there. The dog has no idea where it is until he uses his nose. What, what do you do to convey, to, especially to a young dog, uh, yes. that, hey, uh, trust me on this, there will be a bird out there? I mean, is it simply a matter of repetition, Jim? Well, the, the, biggest, the biggest thing is because the spaniels typically like, you know, they're, they're obviously a, a strong quartering dog. Yeah. And so what we end up doing is that early on in our training, I mean, it's funny, you take out a puppy and they naturally want a quarter. Uh -huh. <laughs> they love the quarter. That's just their, that's their thing, right? You can hardly, they just, they love it and they want to do it. So what we do is we accentuate it a little bit, teach them that they can quarter from side to side and be with us. And that's, and that's really good. And we want to see that and encourage it. And then um, what we do is we, we go ahead and really, try to develop that relationship that they find birds. Cammy mentioned this earlier, um, that they're finding birds with us. Yeah. We put birds in places that it, as, as they're young, we, they go ahead and they, we want them to find their birds on their own because you have to develop that part of it. And then as time goes on, the interesting part is you actually have to temper that with finding it with you, which may be when you're running them on, um, when you're running them uh, on birds, you may, you may want to put that dog in position to find birds. Now, yeah. hunting is totally different because we're totally relying upon the dog. The only difference is we may put them in places that we say, well, they didn't cover this enough. We want to we go ahead and get them in there and cover it a little more yeah. or maybe cover wider or whatever. But in training, what we end up doing is you develop that kind of that trust to be with you and trust in you and to stay with you. But early on, we're actually encouraging almost the opposite. We're, we're encouraging them to go out there and find them on their own 
and then you temper it out by putting birds in places where they'll find them with your help too. So they, they, they kind of go ahead and go, Oh, okay. I need the guy. I need the guy with the gun or the whistle or whatever, yeah, you, know? Yeah. you know, if, if I've got, a, if I've got an animal that's perhaps getting a little bit too big, I may, if I have birds out or whatever, I may go in the opposite direction. And once they're kind of settled in, then I kind of start moving towards where that bird was. Yeah. So they learn to just kind of be with you because that's the right place to be. Love it. Cammie, uh, when you're training uh, without Jip, when you, you know, most of the time you're probably working with your dog yourself. Um, what are the, what are the biggest, uh, what are the biggest things you work on on a frequent basis? Um, really basic obedience, uh, honestly. And it's, it's the consistency factor that Jim talked about at the beginning of the conversation, you know, learning to be fair with the dogs and so that they trust me and they know what to expect from me every time, whether it be, you know, sitting before they get their food, sitting before they go out the door, you know, all of that is, is a big part of what I do. And when I am training on birds and all that's done without birds, Mm -hmm. um, we do place board work with, with dummies out in the yard. And then when I am at gyms, you know, doing bird work, it is important for me because this is one of those points that transitioning between Jim and myself, I can only get my voice to drop so many octaves <laughs> before, <laughs> you know, sometimes I need a little extra motivation for Bailey to be like, Oh yeah, I have to listen to you too. And so I, I keep birds in my, in my field belt, yeah. pull them out, drop them in front of me uh-huh. or, you know, if he puts up a bird and didn't do exactly what I wanted him to, I'll go take the retrieve away. Yeah. And I'll, I'll go pick that up so he doesn't get it unless I let him. So, so again, there you go. I mean, birds are the reward and um, only when it's earned. It's, it's very obvious in a situation like that. Uh, what about um, uh, the gear that you've always got with you? You just mentioned a field belt, for example, and you're carrying birds in it a lot of times. But when you're, whether it's hunting or, um, or at a trial, there are probably things you wouldn't leave home without. What are they? That my field belt would be one water bottles. Uh, we have, you know, a, a leash that's got a little bit more, more, I guess, tensile strength to it. So it's a little, <laughs> it's a little easier to give a correction if you need to. Okay, I, I think I understand what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's basically it. Room for the birds to to put them in the belt you know in the belt once i get them back yeah jim how about on the training side uh cammy mentioned a place board um you've got other things that you probably use uh, any of them that we've never thought about that might become handy for us so um i mean there's a lot of equipment that we use in our in our bag for training i mean but our i'm a real I'm a really, I, I try to be pretty simplistic. Uh-huh. Um, like, uh, I've come to really appreciate the, like the one, uh, the real light one quarter inch, uh, flat leads that, um, they're kind of like almost a rubbery flat lead. Yeah. Uh, that I really like, we've gotten those from, I don't know if I can say the place we've got them from or not, but we've gotten them from different sources. Um, and they're, those are really, really handy. I like them because the dogs don't get hung up on them. Um, for spaniels or any dog of any nature, I like, uh, it's not necessarily training, but certainly care is the, uh, the mat rakes, yeah. uh, that are, that are really, really important. Whether you've got a, a setter or spaniels or even labs, I guess that, that, get, you know, that get them perhaps. Um, but, uh, you know, the whistles, the Acme two ten and a half are kind of my preferred whistles. Uh, I, I, I don't like a lot of complexities in training because it's just, uh, I kind of like the simplicity. I don't use bells. Um, I do train with the e-collars, but uh, my e-collars are very simple. They're, you know, they're not complex. Uh, I don't need a lot of 
high rising and all the different stuff and that's fine i can understand a purpose for it the place boards are perhaps the most simplistic thing that i found for obedience and you can use it for so many different things um there's a company that um you know that uh, developed uh, a really cool plastic board that that i really like a lot because you know they're they're lightweight and um they're just they're just really good. Cato boards out of uh, Wisconsin is uh, yep. They do yep. a great job with those and and uh, you know anyway put out that and that's but no I'm not I'm not real I I don't like a lot of stuff I like uh, I like to just keep it pretty simple you know. Yep, you and your dogs. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and and really when you were talking about you know what I think about when I go up to the line it's it's just me and the dog you know and it's very simple. Yeah. We just go out there and do our thing. And that's sometimes I get stuck because the dogs just go out there and start working beautifully. And I re- have to remember to keep up, but it is just that simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's, it's funny. We, we do tend to make things a little bit more complicated quite often. And, and it probably, um, it probably manifests itself in the wrong ways when you get into a you know a high stress situation like a field trial. Have, have you ever, uh, Jim? You might be the the one to tell us about this. You ever seen a handler, uh, amateur or pro, do something completely and totally crazy that uh, that none of us should ever do anywhere? <laughs> well, uh, it's only an hour long show, so <laughs> narrow it down. Yeah, no, I get it. I, I've seen all of us make mistakes. I yeah. mean, and, and one of the things that's 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 really important in in dog training or even in field trials is you're going to make mistakes. Yeah, it's going to happen. And if you do it over and over and over again in training, then you're gonna then you're gonna have you know problems. That's where you get confusion from the dogs, right? Yeah, but. And in a trial, if you make mistakes, well, I guess that happens and stuff. And, and I've made my share too. Uh, most of the time, it, it, even in training or in trial, I, I liken the whole sport. This reminds me a lot of, um, of really a fly fishing because there's so many little intricities. And, and it, there's, there's so many little things that you can play with mm-hmm. and you can get better at this part. And then you got to tone up this part and understand a little more. You can build your own flies. You can, you know, you can, you know, you got a lot of different venues that you can, that you can, you know, that you can go. Um, but what it really comes down to it when you're going hunting or whether you're at a field trial, you, it's just going to be simply you and your rod or you and your dog. And, you know, so, um, you, you know, you're going to make mistakes. It's part of life. Somebody told me a long time ago, get over it. It's not fair. It's just mm-hmm. it is what it is. But, yep. Yep. Uh, but learn from it and and try to surround yourself with people that will challenge you and, and make you better, just like anything, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, just, just uh, if you go at it with that type of attitude and if you, you know, as a pro trainer, the only reason why my job primarily is because somebody doesn't have the time mm. or the place mm-hmm. or the knowledge or a combination of all three. And so um, what ends up happening is if you're surrounding yourself and you're really good of, good at observing and, and watching and then doing, you know, the old adage, then, um, then you can figure out a lot of stuff. And then, and it's going to take just time in the saddle. It's what we call free throws. You're going to have to, you got to go to the free throw line and you got to make the easy stuff look very easy. You got to make the complex stuff look good too. Yeah. And that's, that's all, that's all it is. It's just, it's just skill sets, you know? And, um, you're talking about, uh, what I would call sports psychology and that's a good transition. Uh, uh, Cammy, um, you learned a lot about dog psychology from Jim. What, what are one of the lessons you learned? Oh boy. Dog psychology. Um, really that have to be consistent and, you know, treat them fairly. And if I treat them fairly and I'm a positive influence for them, then they respond to that very positively. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I don't do the harsh 
style of training, you know, or anything like that. And, you know, I will say one of the things that has probably been one of the more difficult things for me is, you know, when Bailey's with Jim, he's on point. He understands what's going to be happening, what's expected of him. When he comes home and he's with me 24-7, there's a whole lot more room for for me to be not consistent. Yeah. And so I used to call it the hotel happy syndrome. Yes. <laughs> and it's a thing. It's so easy to slide into, but in order to keep Bailey sharp, you know, psychology, you know, any other way you want to think of it, I have to be fair, you know, so the same rules have to apply in the house as they do in the field. I, I had that revelation on a three-day return drive from South Dakota recently. You know, you, you hunt hard for four or five days and the dog is on, like you said. And then and then for three days, you're just kind of lolling around in the truck. And everything goes out the window. It's so easy, isn't it? <laughs> it's so easy. Well, maybe we should be wearing the e-collar. I, I won't. No. <laughs> so, may, I, may, I, may I tell you a quick story? Yeah. I, and I, I, one of the things that was so, it was, it was so cool. I, I, uh, I had the opportunity to watch last year and I've, and I've seen Cammy mature as a, as a, uh, as a handler and getting to understand, you know, and these things don't come easy. They don't come without sacrifice. And what was so, so cool because because there was there was it was so special because when you when you do those type of things that she did last year, she has had that happen in other trials and and done very well, or maybe have it happen in a series, or maybe two series, or maybe three series, you know. But what was so so cool because it was over five days, and you know one of the things that we do in pre national training is is and Cammy will tell you this is we we try to push the folks and the dogs a little bit mm-hmm. we try to get them to where things are just more automatic and thinking and more muscle memory and what was so absolutely cool is I saw Cammy in a zone throughout that whole time that was that's so hard to get to and that goes back to your sports psychology a little bit and and uh, I've even mentioned it to Cammy this year. I said, be that kid. And I call her a kid. She's not a kid. But I said, be that kid that I saw in New York. Mm-hmm. Because it was just, that's, that's where you all strive to, to get to. It's hard to get to. Sometimes you, you're faking like you're there. You know? Yeah, but yeah. You're, in your, your gut, you're going, oh, I'm a little off on this. The dog's just a hair off. Watch that last year was so so cool cammy was i think you could have i think um you could have put ice on her forehead and it would have melted it was just so cool well can yeah <laughs> cammy how do you get to that point i mean you know you're it happens on the drive in i'm sure and then it happens as you're preparing jim talked earlier about you know trying to trying to be polite and listen to people and talk to people but really you're you're gauging the wind you're looking at the other dogs you're doing all is there is there a mantra? It doesn't matter. <laughs> I had, I mean, that that was what was in my head for an entire week. Yeah. Bailey and I walked through six inches of mud, and he was at a heel the entire time. Every time a gun went off, he sat because that's what he's supposed to do, ah, on, you know, on I the shot. <laughs> But, you know, based on where we were in the running order, like, we were walking the course for days, uh-huh. and he was just right with me. Yeah. And I would start to get worked up about, like, oh, there are going to be extra birds over there, or that dog just cleared the course, and it, it it doesn't matter. There was nothing I could do to control Yeah. what was going on in the field. Mm-hmm. But what I had was a dog that was with me. And I could tell just based on the way that he was walking with me through all that slop. And we were good. I knew what my role was, and he knew what he was going to do. And 
and I corrected for him on an occasion or two, and then he corrected for me on an occasion or two. Wow. And it just, I really have no idea what happened with any other dog in that trial, but I just knew that Bailey and I were having a really good week. Well, you know, you're lucky in that regard. Uh, we're, we're all lucky if we get a feeling like that once in a while. Um, as we close up here, that, what, what is it about this whole field trial game that you love so much, Cammy? It's a challenge. I mean, I love being outside. I, I'm one of four girls that grew up with a dad that was a bird hunter. And it's, it's just fascinating to see these dogs do what they were bred to do. And they've come at the sport sort of backwards, but it is an unbelievable community of people that are there for the dogs. They're there for the people, you know, that share their interests. And then when you're out in the field with your dog and it, you're having a good day, it's the best tie because there's so many days that are so frustrating that when you get it right, you hang on to that. Yeah. I love it. How about you, Jim? I mean, you're out there doing it uh, basically for a living. There's got to be some kind of gratifying feeling you get when one of your students, if you will, uh, performs at this level. Yeah. I mean, there's, um, you know, we've, we've been fortunate, very, we've been very fortunate that we've had, uh, um, one, two, three, four, four, four national amateur championships within our, within our team, you know, yeah, and three national open championships. And so, you know, we get, we get, a, I get a lot, actually five to count the cockers, um, in the amateur, but I, I get a lot of satisfaction out of, uh, I, I just get a lot of satisfaction out of, out of, you know, get not only getting there myself, but also getting other people to experience that because it's, it's an incredibly tough thing to do. It's just, it's like, uh, it's just a really, really tough thing to do. And like Cammy said, when you, when you, when you hit, when you get an animal to that point where it's just, everything's clicking and whatnot, it's just so satisfying. But, um, when you can, when you can observe it even more, that's, that's, that's cool. So, I mean, it's it's just gratifying seeing the whole training and you know the experience and and all of that um, really come together. We we have a lot of pride in our team. Um, everybody's within our our team. We're very very happy when each of us do well. We also are there for moral support when it doesn't go so, go so good. And yeah. uh, it's kind of like a baseball season. Um, you know, a good baseball season or, or a really exceptional baseball season is is running at seventy five percent or or higher. If you can, or actually, I think probably you're more in the sixty five percent, which isn't that high when you compare it to say maybe football. Mm-hmm. So you have to get satisfaction in other things other than just that. You have to get satisfaction in meeting training goals, learning a skill set maybe, or or just all those little nuances that you get. Um, that are not, this is not an instant gratification sport. If you want that, go play video games. You know know what I mean? I do. Yeah. uh, Yeah. And the same thing with, with upland hunting or same thing with any hunting, really. It's, um, no, so these are challenges and I think it's, I liken it to life in a little bit of the same way that this, uh, these type of sports are not that far off from some of the life lessons. It's, you're going to get knocked down now and again. Um, you're going to go ahead and have to figure out how to get up and how to figure it out. And, you know, the more you work at it, you're going to have success. And, and if you've got a good product, then it's going to get even better. But, you know, and it's it's life lessons. You know, it's just that's the way it is. And so um, uh, a lot of the folks that we get involved with are looking to really uh, do do. They're looking to try to improve their game, maybe, um, or just looking to have a really good experience. But our team kind of, we all kind of push each other a little bit and uh, in good ways. And so, um, I don't know, I've kind of roundabouted it, I guess, but that's kind of, that's kind of the, 
you know, it's if if you you want to, you can you can either try to figure it out or you can just kind of stumble through. And I'd rather figure it out, you know. Well, when you get it all figured out, send it over to me in a memo, because well, I could use all the help I can get. <laughs> Cammy, you get the last word here, and uh, and and it's to other women who own dogs, consider owning dogs, who want to hunt or or trial. What would your advice be to them? Just do it. Just show up and do it. It's sometimes slightly uncomfortable. Yeah. And it can be it can be tough. I mean, I was a non-hunter that showed up at these trials for the first time, but I wanted to know what it was about and I just did it. And as a result of doing that, so many good things have come from it. So you got to take that risk. And you always have your dog at your side. So uh, you always got at least one, one supporter. That's uh, not when I started. <laughs> <laughs> That's Cammie Barrow. She and her dog, Bailey, the Springer Spaniel, won the National Amateur English Spaniel fi- Field Trial Championship last year. Uh, helped in so many ways f- with, by Jim Keller of Wild Wind Kennels, who's, uh, let's see, are you all the way there yet, Jim? Um, in Minnesota, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, we pulled all the time. We started the call. So. Okay, so so you're safe and sound, and uh, good for you. Good luck to both of you. It sure was fun to learn more about this whole game. Congratulations, uh, and good luck in the future to both of you. Thanks so much for being a part of the Upland Nation podcast. Thank, thank Thanks you so much. Thanks and we have a little bit more to cover here, including, um, you know, a question I, I've been plagued with for a while, and I, I go back and forth on this one. So stand by for the question on our Upland Nation Insights newsletter last week. Do you use a mobile or an online mapping app? I think you'll be surprised at the answers. But first off, the Upland Nation podcast is brought to you by Pointer Shotguns. New website, Pointer shotguns.com yeah it's about time that's what they did i'm glad they did and i'm flattered that they have some of my videos and some of my articles up there among other things take a look at the full line of shotguns available at pointershotguns.com some of the new ones uh, including some beautiful coated finishes on all sorts of field guns as well as some high-end target guns, uh, some youth guns, and soon some more guns to come. So stand by. Keep checking in at PointerShotguns.com. Pointer Shotguns are a work of art at a price that's a thing of beauty. So I was a little surprised at this, uh, <clears throat> the response to this question on the Upland Nation Insights newsletter. And by the way, if you don't get that, go to findbirdhuntingspots.com. Sign up for the mailing list right there, and I'll add you to that list. Every week we got something there of interest to just about everybody, I hope. Uh, how do you feel about this? Uh, technology is, uh, you know pretty much taken over our lives in so many ways. I don't care whether you're investing in crypto or you're just trying to get directions to that fancy restaurant across town. So I asked uh, everybody in the newsletter whether they use one of those online mapping apps. You know, uh, you know which ones I mean. Um, 59% of you say yes. 41% of you say no which I find fascinating and understand completely. Uh, I, <laughs> I almost threw my phone out the window a couple times on my most recent trip. Just couldn't get things to work the way I wish they had. Maybe I need to practice more on that, but, uh, but maybe not. Uh, and, you know, I've learned that there are limitations to that technology, and I don't mean just the fact that sometimes you can't get a cell phone signal because that isn't the only problem there. Sometimes there are accuracy issues for example and uh, currency issues i've learned the hard way for example that uh, 
um, public access land is sometimes a couple years behind the curve when it comes to getting from the state program to the mapping apps program. So there are things like that. So 41% of you, uh, for one reason or another, uh, decided it's just not worth it. Eh, never mind. Thanks for responding, by the way. Good, strong response on that one and some of the others we've had lately. Things are going extremely well for you. I hope they continue to be that way, whether you use an online mapping app or not. And with that, I will thank you all for, number one, listening. Thank you all for leaving ratings and reviews. Thank you, Cammie Barrow and Jim Keller, for being such a great uh, duo on the podcast today. Learned a lot about field trials and dog psychology from you both. I'll remind you that we're made possible by Sage and Breaker Gun Care products, Pointer Shotguns, Mid-Valley Clays, and True Lock Chokes, as well as FindBirdHuntingSpots.com, where I'll see you every day. Something there every day for everybody. I'm Scott Linden. Thanks so much for listening. See you in the field.